Hello and welcome to the weekly Funds Fanatic podcast in which myself, Gavin Lumsden and my colleague Daniel Groats chew the cud over all things relating to investment funds and investment trusts. Uh, this week, Dan, I think we're going to start off talking about uh, the succession to, to Mark, Mark Barnett, the uh, Invesco Equity Income Fund Manager who, who left the group last week. Uh, we've, we've talked about uh, him quite a lot, but it's worth um, sort of catching up on it again because uh, Invesco were defending really their, their, their choice of, uh, of, of managers to succeed on those uh, once uh, very big uh, high income and income funds. Isn't that right? Yeah, I mean, Barnett's departure uh, from Invesco announced last Friday, so um, well, the worst possible time for this podcast, uh, in the, it meant that I couldn't join you on the um, interview um, with, with Tom Slater. Um, oh, don't worry, me and Tom had a grand old time, really good conversation, but uh, yeah, no, it would have been, we did miss you, really. Yeah, so, you know, that, that sort of story broke on the Friday, and obviously a very big story and um, required um, you know, a, a fair amount of attention and, and analysis. Um, so uh, not unexpected in the sense that um, Barnett's performance had been um, bad for a, a long time. Um, uh, he'd been at Invesco for 24 years. Um, the last uh, five uh, or slightly more than five years of that, um, he'd spent uh, managing the uh, Invesco income and high income funds, uh, among some others. But those those were the flagships. Those were these huge funds that he'd taken on from Neil Woodford, his, his predecessor. Um, those funds, uh, you know, amounting to around twenty five billion pounds at the time he took them over. Um, now five billion. Um, obviously, still relatively big in, uh, compared to uh, other funds that are out there, but but certainly not compared to the size they were at the time uh, at which he took them over. And that's been due to uh, investors pulling money first in response to uh, Neil Woodford's departure, um, you know, at the time then sort of held as a, a, as a star manager. Um, and then later on, as um, Mark Barnett's performance deteriorated, so the funds are down around 40% uh, in the last three years and, and um, right towards the bottom of um, the Investment Association's UK all companies sector. Um, so investors passed them on to um, Kieran Mallon and, and James Goldstone, um, who, uh, I mean, I mean you, you'll know more about their performance track record, record really than I do in the sense that, that you know, that, that they sort of made their name, um, you know, in recent years, certainly in the, uh, in the investment trust space, um, but performance not particularly good over the last uh, three years. Uh, and that's, you know, partly down to the fact that, like most of um, Invesco's UK equity managers, they have a very sort of a very kind of value-driven approach, and that's that's been one that's been out of favour. Um, I mean, Invesco is saying that uh, you know, with the with Barnett's funds, his, his value focus, um, which the new managers share, has been an issue. But you know, there are issues with those funds that, that stretch beyond um, just his his focus on value, and there were you know some errors with. Uh, with stocks that, that hurt the fund badly. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. Uh, Kieran Mallon has been running in Invesco in Income Growth Investment Trust for a very long time, actually, since 2005. Uh, James Goldstone um, picked up another UK investment trust called Keystone. Um, he picked that up from uh, Mark Barnett um, a few years ago, um, three years ago, in fact. And uh, yeah, their performance hasn't been great, but you know, it. The value style that they're pursuing has struggled. And, you know, in the case, if we're looking at the net asset value, the kind of actual value of the investments rather than the share price, which is, is affected by a sort of sentiment and, and, and has done badly. But if you look at the kind of uh, investment performance that they're in charge of, 
um, yeah, over five years, uh, in Invesco income growth uh, is down five um, percent. Uh, no, it's down fifth. It's down three percent, which uh, you know it's obviously great, but it's better than the FTSE All Share. And with James Goldstone on Keystone, you know, uh, over three years, the net asset value is down twenty-one percent, um, and that is worse than the FTSE All Share. So. You know, it it it, it, it maybe doesn't inspire a lot of confidence, but I kind of I don't know what, what do you think? I didn't really expect anything different. I mean, it's quite typical in these situations for fund management groups. You know, faced with a huge issue, you know, you, you get rid of the individual. You know, the, the individual fund manager whose name is attached to it has to take responsibility, and if it's been given a long time to be around it, you know, then off they go. But uh, the, the approach and the the group might tighten the process, which I think is what uh, they were talking about, and they'll find some new individuals, but they're not going to change their fundamental approach because that'll probably be even more damaging uh, to, to, to investor confidence. Uh, it would certainly generate a lot of uncertainty. Um, yes, yeah. I mean, the, the emphasis from them has been sort of on uh, challenge was the, was the kind of key word uh, that was re repeated fairly often in, in the briefing on these changes. Um, uh, and so, you know, they've moved to a co-manager approach, which is, you know, is obviously a fairly common thing that we see across um, quite a few funds um, that are available to, to UK investors, uh, but not something that, they've, that Invesco has done in its UK equity team before. You know, I think the idea is that, um, you know, because there will be this challenge between the two managers, that it will mitigate some of the risk of, you know, maybe some of the outsized large positions um, that uh, that the Invesco income and high income funds um, had and, and, and that hurt the fund. I mean, I'm thinking of, you know, stocks like uh, Provident Financial, where, you know, a very big holding in the fund uh, that then falls 70% in a single day, um, you know, that, that they were talking a lot about, um, you know, having appropriately sized positions, uh, keeping an eye on risk, um, uh, emphasizing the liquidity of the fund that's that's been a concern um with those with those two funds given what's happened with the woodford equity income fund which suspended uh, and is now being liquidated um given its sort of large positions in um unquoted and uh, hard to trade um smaller companies um the investor income and high income funds shared some of those um, same stocks um, and some were simply a legacy of Woodford's management of, of the funds before, um, albeit in smaller number and smaller proportion than um, than the Woodford funds. So, um, yeah, I think that is certainly going to be sort of one of the areas that, that they will be focusing on um, as, as they take on these, you know, what are still, um, and certainly compared to the funds that they have been running, they are very big funds. Um, five billion pounds is, is a lot of the money to be running yeah, do you reckon it feels like they, they reckon that things aren't can't get much worse? Yeah, there's been this huge fall in the in the in the assets under management in those funds, and uh, you know maybe a bit more money will come out after Barnes departure. But they're probably thinking this is the kind of towards the bottom uh, of, of of this business, and that the uh, you know the two should be able to kind of hold the line for a bit and maybe build from there. It's interesting, isn't it? That they're doing this co-manager thing, but you know I get the idea that they can each check make sure that the other's not doing going a bit crazy or you know going too far on a, of different positions but um, it, it is interesting that they, they're both jointly running both funds because there is an attempt to make to make those both high income and the income fund uh, Invesco income and Invesco high income to, to differentiate them more because in the past under Barnett and under Neil Woodford they were virtually identical weren't they? 
Well, they were not only were they identical, but you know there were points where the income fund was yielding more than the high income fund, so the names became absolutely meaningless. Um, uh, yeah, that, that, I mean the way they're trying to differentiate them now is with the high income fund having that aim to aim uh, to to yield more than uh, the UK stock market, and with the income and growth fund that becomes um, what they're talking about is more of a kind of core, um, you know, sharing a bit of kind of uh, income yeah. and growth. Uh, but would it have made more sense to have given you know them a fund each, and then you could have say they've got a distinct approach and they've got their own manager? Well, I guess what they're trying to do is um, they, Malin and Goldston do have sort of different approaches. Um, Goldston is maybe a bit more like Barnett in the sense that he's looking across the whole of the UK stock market, so he's not just focused on. Um, the blue chips in the, in the FTSE 100. Uh, and so if there was, uh, you, you know, a willingness to have some kind of continuation of um, that approach, uh, albeit that it hadn't worked well for Barnett um, before, um, then that makes sense. Whereas, you know, Malin's, Malin is more a traditional equity income manager. So, I mean, yeah, if you do, you know, it, 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 in one sense, maybe giving Malin high income and giving Goldston um, the income fund uh, would have aligned with where they want to see those funds going. Um, uh, but I guess the idea is because they want that sort of challenge and because they want um, they want to avert some of the risks that the, the funds were subject, subjected to under Barnett, that's, that's why they've gone with this co-manager type structure. How's the changes going down with investors? Any, any uh, indication from, um, you know, any redemptions, any withdrawals from the funds that you can see? Well, we can't or was it see too that. early to tell? Um, yeah, I mean, um, Morningstar's figures on these, um, it differs between sort of different funds. Some funds report every day, others report every month. Um, and of those that report every month, some with, with quite a lag, of which these Invesco funds are, are amongst that last group. So it will be a while before we see sort of what happens. Um, but I mean, I guess, you know, what you can say is that these funds have lost, in terms of outflows, uh, about £20 billion since um, Woodford uh, left. So, you know, that's, just physically not possible now because they're, they're only five billion. Um, so, you know, by definition, the the scale of the outflows is, is going to uh, diminish um, because the funds are much diminished. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll have to see what happens. I mean, it is worth pointing out that you know the the, the underperformance that uh, we've identified with uh, Kieran Mallon and James Goldston is it's not unique to them or or, or Barnet or Invesco. I was just looking at. Um, uh, the, the latest sort of investment trust uh, sort of share price ratings and uh, there's a fund manager Alex Wright at Fidelity running Fidelity Special Values you know really highly regarded fund manager I think we've mentioned him uh, in recent weeks he's a value he describes himself as a contrarian value in investor and uh, and until about a year and a half ago you'd have said you know given that the value style has been challenging is that it, it managed to kind of follow that style and deliver uh, good returns. It has he, he, recently this year. It's gone really badly, horribly wrong. And so it's, it's, I just thought it's worth highlighting. You know, there seems to be well, there maybe could be pressure on on Alex Wright at some point. I mean, Fidelity Special Values uh, is down twenty three percent in terms of its net asset value over over three years. And um, you know, I think it's just worth pointing out that there is a, a big challenge for for those kind of fund managers. And, and that got picked up a bit in a, another significant thing of, uh, event from this week. Well, it's the monthly survey from uh, the Bank of uh, America, Merrill Lynch, 
they do this fund manager survey, don't they? And uh, it was a good one uh, this week, wasn't it? It was showing that 68% uh, of the respondents, uh, the, the global fund managers, considered that the recent rebound in markets to be a classic bear market rally. They were, they were really quite cautious and worried about a second wave of coronavirus knocking us all for six again. Yeah, I mean, that it certainly it had a very sort of uh, definite headline coming out of it, um, that there is this widespread scepticism about, um, you know, the, the extent of the market rebound that we've had um, since mid-March. Um, you know, stock markets obviously fell off very sharply um, at record pace uh, when the coronavirus uh, pandemic sort of spread across the world and, and lockdowns came into force. Um, but really, since, yeah, since the last week of March, there has been um, a very substantial rebound, um, driven in large part by um, the huge amount of stimulus that uh, central banks and, and, and governments have been um, driving into the global economy um, to help it cope with, uh, with, with these shutdowns. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting, isn't it? That, that, I mean, so in terms of what fund managers are doing with that kind of bearish mentality, um, so cash levels are at 5.7%. Um, Bank of America has highlighted, so that's down from where it was um, in their previous survey uh, in April. Um, but, you know, still well above the 10-year um, the, the average. Um, so there is that element of sort of bearishness coming in there. Uh, but I don't, I don't know, just in a couple of sort of pieces that have, have, um, we've published uh, over the last week, um, you get... Uh, you know, there's one thing to just be bearish about the market full stop. Um, but then I think you, with, with some fund managers as well, you've got a bearishness around um, growth ops uh, in particular, because these have been the stocks that have really led, uh, certainly in the US, they've led the rebound. So Amazon, Facebook, Netflix, um, Alphabet, the owner of Google. Um, and you've had, uh, you know, a couple of managers sort of um, talking on our website, uh, about um, worries uh, uh, on that and moving more into sort of value type areas. Um, and I guess, you know, this the sort of the value and growth debate is, you know, in a lot of the time it's, it's dominated by managers who are just firmly camped on one side. So, you know, you, you maybe don't pay as much attention to what they're saying on, on that debate because well, you'd expect them to say that, wouldn't you? Um, so, you know, you, you'd expect uh, Scottish mortgage to be extolling the virtues of, of, of growth stocks, uh, just as you'd expect, um, you know, a, a value manager like RWC to be talking about um, why value is, is due resurgence. Um, but a couple, you know, so Jeremy Podger at Fidelity, who has a more kind of, so he runs the kind of global version of uh, Alex Wright's uh, UK uh, funds. Um, he runs Fidelity Global Special Situations. Um, has a more kind of, you know, balanced approach where he's got, um, groups fund, uh, stocks into three sort of different categories and so he will hold value and he will hold sort of growth so he just bought Amazon he bought Tesla at the um, at the back end of last year uh, and he's talking about um, you know having bought Amazon in March when it was you know around uh, $1,700 um, sort of his March lows uh, and you know now it's now it's back at all-time highs it's at about two and a half thousand dollars per share um, you know, now he's just a bit worried about just how quickly those growth stocks have um, have rebounded and have, uh, and have led this rally. Um, he's you know thinking, well, maybe 
it's time time to go a bit more into into value. I mean, I don't know if that's you know something that you see sort of within the the investment trust world, where you know where there's where there are sort of value managers who are really kind of getting a bit more bullish about the sort of strategies that they have. I yeah, I don't know. They're they're getting bullish. They're just kind of uh, uh, probably getting tired of uh, their own voices saying the same sort of thing. It's like you know, mean reversion. It it will come back. Uh, You know, uh, growth can't go on forever. But um, so I don't think there are so many people saying that. uh, Oh yeah, value is a dead cert. It's more in hope than uh, expectation. But there are plenty of bearish fund managers that believe that the amount of um, monetary stimulus, extreme, you know, that the Bank of England and other central banks are chucking the kitchen sink uh, at uh, trying to reflate uh, the, the economies uh, because, of the corona, because of the pandemic. Um, you know, the Bank of England this week, you know, talking about negative interest rates, uh, on to- you know, having um, restarted money printing or quantitative easing to use its more... Uh, proper name um, and, and so that I think there's a lot more people talking recognizing the inflation risk that this uh, could bring about um, rather than, which then indirectly people say could lead to a recovery in the value style so it's all a bit odd because actually because of the plunging oil price and because of the uh, recession we've dropped into hopefully briefly but the steep recession we're in inflation numbers actually are falling and and inflation numbers fell for april uh, we found that this week um but nevertheless looking forwards you know with all this money printing going on um you know it although the quantitative easing didn't have that inflationary effect uh, after the last financial crisis in 2008 and 2009, uh, there are great, I think there are a great number of people who are thinking uh, this time, you know, the only way out. I mean, the, the big argument of the bears has been that, you know, the central banks and the authorities, you know, the w- world debts have just gone up and up and up and up and up. And the only way for the authorities to pay off these debts is to let inflation uh, come out of the bag a little bit. And that nobody's going to come out and say, you know, no central bank is going to say, oh, we're not going to follow a 2% uh, inflation target anymore. But they definitely, but, but in practice, they become le- a lot less hawkish. And in fact, they get soft in inflation. And so, yeah, uh, fund managers like uh, Ruffer and Capital Gearing, and they've long been positioned in uh, inflation, well, in a variety of assets, but crucially in inflation linked bonds uh, from the US, Treasury. Uh, tips they're called which they believe are you know cheap um, they're not that cheap really but they're cheap if, if inflation was to really spike up then you would be getting good protection from that uh, because if you get high inflation obviously all bets are off that's bad for all sorts of asset classes um, but going back to the value point uh, yes if, if suddenly inflation was high then those stocks they're offering high yields i.e the value the uh, cheap overlooked value ones would suddenly look more attractive. So uh, it's not that, uh, I don't think that in, in inflation is necessarily good for the value style, but it would be bad for the growth stocks. And so by implication, people would shift over into something that was paying uh, paying something above the rate of inflation. Do you follow me? Yeah, I mean, in terms of, sort of why it's bad for, for growth stocks, I guess if you look at, I don't know, like a company like Reckon and Keyser, um, you know, or, or Unilever, companies that are able to sort of really just generate consistent revenues and, and keep kind of growing those revenues. I mean, to a large extent over the last sort of decade, um, uh, you know, 
well, one of the kind of key components that's helped the shares of those companies continue to rise has been you know, the, the the steady decline in, in, in bond yields. And if that were to change, which it would change, um, uh, there was this um, upsurge pickup in, in in inflation, then that would be bad for those stocks and, and, and good for value stocks. So that's something that um, uh, Carl Dobby and, um, uh, sorry, Alan, Alan Dobby and Carl Stick, managers of the Rathbone Income Fund, are, are, are talking about where, you know, they're, they're another fund where they, you know, they're, they're not sort of in, in one camp or the other. They've got um, about a third of their funding, you know, stocks like Reckitt Benkiza, um, about a quarter in um, well, what they call kind of cash cows, um, tobacco companies, those, um, you know, maybe unlikely, un even they're not consistently growing, but they are delivering um, uh, consistent returns um, on their capital. Um, uh, and they're, you know, maybe a bit worried about those and sort of dialing down that exposure uh, because they don't want to be, um, they don't want to be exposed if there is then, a, you know, what they call a sort of vicious uh, rotation uh, from uh, the growth stocks that have dominated the stock market over the last 10 years into value because of uh, a pickup in inflation. I mean, I guess the, in terms of inflation and the you know, the amount of stimulus that's that's being pumped into the economy, um, I guess the counterpoint to that is that people were saying the same thing after the financial crisis, it's huge amounts, not quite as much as we're getting now um, in terms of stimulus. And that, I mean, that never really did lead to um, a pickup in inflation. That's right. I mean, there are huge deflationary forces through the internet and technological progress that means you know the price of goods, <laughs> crudely speaking, has been falling. So yeah, attempts to to inflate, but you know they, the, the central banks are really throwing everything at it this time. And I think they're just those those people who are predicting inflation are just saying you know something's going to break this time. Um, they really want uh, the higher inflation, even though they you know officially they say uh, otherwise. It's very challenging uh, decision, though, isn't it? I, you know, these managers who are kind of uh, a bit agnostic on style, you know, they sound interesting. But for those people, you know, there's a real decision and a real risk to be made around growth versus value. Because um, we, we held our uh, first uh, private investor event, uh, online event, on uh, courtesy of Zoom, didn't we, uh, this week. An income investing webinar it was really well attended and it was a great thing to do. But it did really bring home, you know, the, the amount of questions that we were getting that you were, you know, sifting through um, from 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 the viewers, you know, really underlined the first of all challenge and and the need for people to try and sort out where they're invested because they've just been faced with this slump, not just in the capital values but also the the dividends and the income coming through from their SIPs and their ISAs. But you know. Our panellists, who included uh, Toby Ross, a fund manager at Scottish American, uh, which is a global uh, equity income trust. Now, Toby Ross is, uh, works for Bailey Gifford, as you know, and so, you know, that's a, a kind of growth house. So, you know, he was arguing that uh, you've got to be really careful about buying higher yielding value stocks because their dividends may well be uh, unsustainable. But, uh, you know, he was basically backed up by other panellists, wasn't he? There was uh, James Burns of, uh, Burns of Smith and Williamson, Andrew Summers of Investec, and they were agreeing that um, you know the challenge was that you know you've 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 been hit for six by the stock market falls. There's been a bit of a rebound. Um, a bit skeptical about you know how long lasting that rebound might be. So things are still still not not out of the woods. But uh, you know you're you're looking to supplement uh, or find other good areas of income. 
And, you know, it could mean, uh, that basically means reducing your exposure to equities or shares at a point at which they've fallen. And classically, you would say, well, that's the time to buy them. So, um, meanwhile, if you move a bit of money into, say, something like infrastructure, uh, which people mention, um, you know, that's, they're, they're, they're quite highly priced, certainly not cheap. So it is a very, it's, it's a real conundrum. Isn't well, it? and it's a good reminder of the situation that, you know, actual investors in the real world find themselves in, isn't it? Because I guess, you know, the temptation when we're talking about prospects for different sorts of assets is, is you kind of just looking at it in isolation and you're just looking at, you know, what would you buy now? Um, but obviously, unless you're just a first time investor or you just happen to all be sat in cash, it's not that one decision, is it? It's, it's what you sell as well. Um, and, and that becomes, uh, you know, that does become a very big call um, at, at times like this, because depending, in, depending on what you're in, um, some of them, you know, some areas of the stock market um, in particular are, are, are really, you know, very, have been very, very hard hit by um, the coronavirus um, falls. So, you know, do you, do you want to kind of crystallise at, at that point? Um, yeah, and that's, uh, I guess... Yeah, no, it, exactly. exactly. It, it, it's, it's, it's difficult to know what to say. All I would say to our, any of our, our sort of listeners, if they want a bit more information about this, it's well worth uh, downloading and go and have a listen to the recording of, uh, of the webinar, which is available on uh, both our uh, websites, Investment Trust Insider and, and Funds Insider. But uh, let's move on to our sort of last topic uh, for this week. I mean, uh, you know, the... the we're in the midst of this recession and this pandemic. Uh, the fund managers and that survey we were talking about highlighted the, the, the most likely way out in the short term. The only way we're going to get a V-shaped bounce you know, out of it, recovery, is if there's a cure is found. And um, there was quite a lot going on in that space this week. Uh, I think you, you were following it more closely than me. What, what happened? Yeah, well, I mean, we had this huge move in um, in the stock market on Monday, um, uh, and initially that was sort of being driven by um, easing of lockdowns around the world, um, and so a, a gradual uh, reinstatement of economic activity. Um, and then we had this report from Moderna, um, you know, certainly a stock that I hadn't come across before, uh, but a biotechnology company in the US, um, saying that it had... Uh, you know, it was reporting positive progress in, in admittedly sort of very early trials of a vaccine to treat COVID-19. Um, and that, you know, really sort of supercharged the rally. So we had the FTSE 100 up 4.3% uh, by the close of, of Monday. Um, I mean, what's interesting with that um, uh, stock, which is, um, you know, as you'd expect, has, has been doing very well sort of since the turn of the year, is, is just some of the fund managers who were involved. Um, so uh, Tom Slater, who we had on uh, last week, or who you had on, um, he, he's an investor. Um, uh, a few Bailey Gifford funds, including um, the, uh, uh, so it was the uh, Bailey Gifford um, American fund that he, he runs and um, the uh, US Growth Investment Trust um, that is run, not by him, but um, his team. Um, uh, so they've backed that company from its outset, really, so it floated in December 2018. Um, uh, BB Biotech, who you know, you'll know more about, um, they're invested, uh, as is, um, so Lyndon Thompson, who won, runs the um, AXA Biotechnology Fund, uh, she bought in in, um, in March. Uh, so, yeah, it's got, a, it's got a decent sort of smattering of, um, 
UK sort of fund manager uh, uh, backing. Um, uh, I guess I'd just go on as well, that it just on that theme of, because uh, we've had another um, story, not about a, you know, a, a, a manager who's bought into the magical stock that's curing coronavirus, but just those stocks that are actually sort of doing quite well out of this pandemic, um, uh, you know, that's been sort of something that's emerged as, you know, a theme as, as the, I guess, the kind of initial sell-off of everything um, in the initial stages of the stock market reaction to the virus has um, now become a bit more bifurcated. Um, so Nick Ford, who runs the Myton uh, US Smaller Companies Fund, has got a really good track record, but has only been around um, since March 2018. Um, so he, he's, he's been highlighting Everbridge, again, a company that I hadn't come across, but it's a, um, a US stock that uh, supplies sort of emergency messaging, you know, when there's um, you know, an extreme weather event or um, uh, you know, a terrorist attack or something like that. So obviously with something like coronavirus and the lockdowns that uh, have been imposed, that's, um, there's a lot of demand for that sort of um, system. And uh, Teladoc Health, which is a, um, uh, an online doctor service, you know, particularly in the US, um, that's, that's been doing very well. So that's doubled uh, since the turn of the year. Um, so, you know, amongst all the, you know, the, the sort of headlines of bearishness um, from, from fund managers, um, there are some funds that are, you know, are, are, you know are relatively substantially up on the year and it's those kind of stocks that, that have been driving it so um so it's not all been bearish this week no well um that, that sounds really interesting and perhaps uh, you know you, you, you'll look into it a bit more and tell us a bit more about it next time because um yeah as you say things just got totally sold off <laughs> comprehensively across the across the board in uh, in march uh, and then it's, it's become a little bit more uh, nuanced but it, it, we're just in, we're totally intent to aren't we? Because on the one level, um, markets are in a fragile state and the FTSE's falling back to below 6,000 today on Friday with uh, you know, China looking to sort of take control of Hong Kong a bit more and that's stoking up tensions in the US. So yeah, we're, we're back to feeling a bit more bearish. And, um, uh, but it's good to know that there are, you know, there are always opportunities and uh, perhaps some of these fund managers you're talking about are, are, are getting into some really important ones in relation to... Uh, coronavirus let's hope they're right uh, for all sorts of reasons all right dan well listen i think that's probably uh, enough for now but uh, good to catch up and um you're off next week aren't you so i don't know who i'm going to be talking to next week perhaps myself but we'll see what i can do <laughs> yeah but enjoy <laughs> have a good time mate <laughs>